1: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run businesses run SAP.
0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place. We always say it, we always mean it, and we think it's true. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. Oh, my. I found a quote from Gary Coleman, who is, uh, uh, I would say, a biggie ad leader at Deloitte Consulting. He was quoted by a journalist named Rosamund Hutt at Davos 2016. This is a very telling quote, and it will set the stage for our topic today. He said, the fourth industrial revolution is still in its nascent state. meaning recent birth. But with the swift pace of change and disruption to business and society, the time to join in is now. Okay, we've got a couple key words in there. Fourth Industrial Revolution, swift pace, change, disruption, and of course, business and society. So what are we talking about here on the future of manufacturing? The future of manufacturing is Industry 4.0. That's our fourth industrial revolution. And it's here now. Across the globe, companies are taking advantage of innovative solutions. What are we talking about? Come on, you've heard us talk about them here on this series. Additive manufacturing. How about IoT? That's the Internet of Things. ML machine learning, plant connectivity, automation, and the scary word for a lot of people, robotics. But those companies who are focusing on just one or two innovations or initiatives at a time, ah, eventually they're going to have to figure out how to get everything to work together. Yeah, you could do it little bits and pieces, but it all has to come together in one big humming hole at the same time. And how are they going to do it? Well, we think the key to getting all of this done is ensuring that the workforce embraces the changes and wants to help the company make it happen. That's a lot to process. That's why we have two experts here on the show to help us figure it out. Let me just tell you who they are, and then we'll hear from them. In just a moment, I will introduce to you David R. Brosell, B-R-O-U-S-E-L-L, if you want to look him up. He's on LinkedIn. He's the vice president, general manager, and editorial director of the Manufacturing Leadership Council, and he'll tell us what they do. And joining him on the panel, we just have two people, but they're so powerful, we only needed two today. Mike Edelin, product specialist in aerospace and defense industry business unit at SAP. So let me go around the table, too. Mr. David R. Bruce and David has sent us a quote from Michelangelo. We haven't had a Michelangelo quote in ages. Michelangelo, anybody doesn't know the name Michelangelo? De Lodovico Buonarrati Simoni, 1475, lived until 1564. He was an Italian sculptor painter, architect, and poet of the High Renaissance, born in the Republic of Florence. He exerted an unparalleled influence on the development of Western art. He was considered to be the greatest living artist during his lifetime, and since has been described as one of the greatest artists of all time. So here's the quote David has selected. The greater danger for most of us lies not in setting our aim too high and falling short, but in setting our aim too low and achieving our mark. Oh, my, David Brosell, that sounds like we, something we should crochet on the side of a pillow and have in our living room to look at every day. How are you, David? David, tell me about this quote, please.
2: And I actually have it on my wall rather than my pillow. Ah! <laughs> uh, but, uh, Sorry, I love the, the it. The reason Go I ahead. like this quote so much kind of goes back to the quote you you, you stated from Gary Coleman. And where we're at with this so-called fourth industrial revolution. In the minds of many executives, uh, uh, we're, at a, we're at a kind of a crossroads. Um, our research here at the Manufacturing Leadership Council for the past couple of years is showing that the manufacturing community is almost evenly split between those who think the fourth industrial revolution is a step change, a real game changer and those who think it's important, but it's not a game-changer. And I think that sentiment really reflects where we're at in terms of uh, how uh, knowledgeable people are about what this fourth industrial revolution means, what its impact is going to be on their companies, on their people, the products they make, the processes they use to make those products. So I like that quote because I think it's, in some sense, aspirational in that. And I, and I use it whenever I give a talk about uh, what we call manufacturing 4.0 because mm-hmm. I think it's important to encourage people to kind of think anew about what they're doing. And therefore, uh, you got to be careful not to think in in. In terms that are too small or too incremental about this fourth industrial revolution, it really holds the potential for doing things dramatically differently and dramatically better than before. But you've got to set your goals accordingly, and that's why I like this quote so much.
0: Very, very interesting, and and I was teasing about putting it on the pillow, but it seems to me such a profound lesson in life, David, a a mantra that you could carry with you, and you should, it probably should be in every college dorm room for freshmen. What do you think? Don't set your aim too low and get there, you think?
2: Yeah, it's all about challenging yourself, you know, and not, you know, not falling into the conventional trap, so to speak, and getting comfortable, too, uh, too comfortable, So you you do have to challenge yourself, you know, in in manufacturing. Manufacturing executives need to challenge themselves. They need to challenge their companies. The industry itself needs to challenge itself to kind of move up um, and think uh, and act differently because the future is in the balance.
0: And, and David, one more question before I introduce Mike, who I know is waiting patiently in the wings for me to go around the other side of the table to him. Is this breaking news for manufacturers, David? If somebody tunes in right now and they hear us talking about fourth industrial revolution, industry 4.0, are they going to say, oh, come on, what is that, just something that's selling books? Is that, is that just something somebody made up? Does everybody know that it's here, that this is something to be reckoned with? What do you think?
2: I, I think it would be accurate to say that most people um, in the, in the manu- senior manufacturing ranks at home and abroad have heard this term, fourth industrial revolution, or some uh, variant of it, whether it's a digitization, whether it's industry 4.0, whether it's industrial internet of things. Um, w- or whether it's some other variation of those, those, those concepts. But I think what a lot of companies are struggling with right now is to try to understand how it applies to their specific business. Because manufacturing, as you know, is, is kind of um, it, 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 like an, an enormous ocean. Uh, it, it has many, many, many segments ranging from oil and gas to car manufacturing and and many things in between so there's huge variation within manu- in the in the manufacturing industry and each company uh, is different their processes are different even within uh, like segments so people are struggling with trying to understand what it means for them and what kind of changes they have to implement in order to embrace it
0: Thank you very much. Great overview, David. Pleasure to meet you, and thank you for joining us. And now let me turn to Mike Edelin at SAP. And I just want to say, Mike, before I read your quote, that's all I can say. Mike (laughs) has selected a quote from Ferdinand Porsche, 1875-1951. He was an automotive engineer and founder of the Porsche Car Company, best known for creating the first gasoline electric hybrid vehicle, the Loner Porsche, the Volkswagen Beetle, woohoo, the Mercedes Benz SS slash SSK, and several other important developments and Porsche automobiles. He was an important contributor to the German war effort during World War II. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to give his party allegiance. We don't want to talk about that. But in nineteen ninety six he was inducted into the International Motorsports Hall of Fame and posthumously earned the award of Car Engineer of the century in 1999 oh my here is the quote i think everybody's going to love this one the perfect racing car crosses the finish line first and subsequently falls into its component parts i don't know whether i'm seeing the destruction of a very expensive racing car tell me mike edlin welcome to the show and tell me what does this mean well thank
3: you bonnie the way i relate this to uh, manufacturing so my son has turned me into a, a, quite a fan of uh, Formula One racing. We watch the races together when our schedules uh, uh, allow it. But uh, what's really impressed me about those Formula One cars is how balanced and fine-tuned they are. Uh, those cars, of course, if a driver goes into a turn too fast, they're going to spin out of control and go off the track. But what's even more amazing is the, those things are so finely tuned, if they actually go too slow, they don't have enough downforce to hold them on the track. If they go too slow, they don't have enough cooling circul- circulation going around their brakes, and their brakes can just burst into flames. And um, so recently, uh, Azerbaijan, there was a race where the driver for Mer- one of the drivers for Mercedes-Benz, Lewis Hamilton, uh, was perfectly in a position to win the race. And with Only five or ten laps to go, he had to make a pit stop because, of all things, the headrest on his car came loose. So although Mercedes-Benz spent millions of dollars on the chassis and on the engine, uh, just a a $2 part on the headrest uh, caused them to to fail to, to win that race. And so the the reason I like that, and how it relates to manufacturing, is as we move into Industry four point manufacturing really has to be looked at as a component, if you will, of the overall extended value chain and um, uh, extended supply chain. Uh, it has to be a, a component um, that that is seamless. It can respond to changes in the market the marketplace. Because corporations, they have global competition now for resources, for workforce. Uh, new innovations and in technology allow their competitors to catch up more quickly. There are new in- entrants into the, the marketplace. And so manufacturers really need the agility to adjust to that, that changing marketplace and be able to respond to that and need to look at this industry 4.0 and manufacturing in a larger sense of how it, it fits into the overall uh, strategy of the corporation and how it interacts with the, the, uh, everything from design, that digital thread that goes from design all the way through the supply chain and to uh, production operations all the way out to the end user of, of our, of our products that the customers use. And so for corporations to cross that finish line in first place, they just need to look at this in a more holistic, uh, view than just the, the, in the past, uh, Manufacturing is operated somewhat in a silo, and we just can't uh, continue that any longer.
0: Thank you, Mike. Also, great overview. When you were telling me what the quote really means, I was thinking of another phrase we all know very well. The devil is in the details. Eh? A $2 headrest, you think?
3: <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's right.
0: There, there you go. And that may be actually part of the lesson we are mounting here for our manufacturers. Some, I've been tweeting some good information from both of you manufacturers. How does industry fit into every aspect of your business, and David said that every business is unique, every manufacturing business, every corporation is unique, and you need to figure out how this applies. It's not just a step chain, it's dramatic, and it is challenging, taken seriously. Thank you both. Now we're going to get a little up close and personal with each of our panelists, so Mr. David R. I like the R because, David, I never go anywhere without my middle initial D, so I respect people who Put it R into their name. So David R. Broussel, uh, questions for you. Number one, where where in the world are you calling from today? Number two, what's the favorite drink that you'd love to have in your cup right now? What really makes you happy? And number three, tell us a little bit about the Manufacturing Leadership Council. Uh, when did it start? Who are the members? Just give us about a, a minute and a half overview so we, we can level set with you. Go ahead, David.
2: Sure, Bonnie. I'm I'm calling in from the uh, historic city, the Citadel of Freedom, called Boston, where it all began, and uh, lived up here for about thirty years now. I'm originally from New York, New Jersey area, but love love it here in Boston. And in 2008, uh, uh, I I co-founded the Manufacturing Leadership Council, and the Manufacturing Leadership Council is a global organization of Manufacturing executives from across the spectrum of manufacturing that is uh, bound together by a set of common um, business and technology issues that we call critical issues. That the membership wants us to develop uh, content around and uh, events and and plant tours and things of that nature, so that. Its members um, can be uh, educated at the professional level, at the personal level, can help their companies become better companies, and and uh, along the way, help the industry itself rise as an industry. And um, we're just about to celebrate our tenth anniversary. Our members hail from, as I mentioned, across the spectrum of manufacturing, which means that our members are from a, are a cross functional group. So we have members from uh, operations and manufacturing, IT, supply chain, research and development, product design and development, and we even get members from the HR and legal departments of manufacturing companies. Why? Because one of our core beliefs is that the manufacturing company needs to be integrated. The silos that Mike talked about have to come down. The company has to act as one. And, we, and all functions have to work together toward the betterment of the business. So our membership is indeed that cross-functional swath across the manufacturing organization, and uh, we've been um, at this now uh, for a number of years uh, around these critical issues, and uh, our focus is intently on this manufacturing 4.0, fourth industrial revolution, helping the members um devise their journeys to this better future. So um it's it's quite a quite a challenge and quite interesting and we have very, very engaged people. Now on to the drink side
0: of things. Yes. Uh,
2: which actually may be more interesting. Um <laughs> No, I thought favorite. that was
0: very interesting actually. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> Well, you know, um, my my favorite alcoholic beverage, if I can, if I can, <laughs> you use certainly one, may, <laughs> is is a, is what's called a French martini. It has nothing mm. to do with my last name, Brocel. A lot of people think it's a French derivative. I won't disabuse them of that, but I won't confirm it either. <laughs> and uh, a French mar- French martinis, I find, are, are quite delicious. But the interesting thing about them is. Um, I've had many experiences where I could walk into a French restaurant in Manhattan, for example, and they don't know how to make them. Uh, and then I can walk into a small bar and grill on the coast of Massachusetts, and they yes, do. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so it, 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 there's a, a great variance in in in, um, in the knowledge of uh, bars and restaurants about how to make a French martini. It requires vodka chambord, and pineapple juice mixed to perfection. And if you know how to make it correctly, it should be a light pink color. Uh, and the glass should be rimmed with sugar. Ooh. The martini glass should be rimmed in sugar. They're absolutely fantastic. Um, I've been drinking them for years, but I'm, al- I'm always amused By the kind of the inconsistency in knowledge uh, in in the restaurant community about uh, how to make them, whether they even indeed know how to make them, whether they even have the ingredients to make them, so it's uh, it's a continual source of uh, amusement for me uh, on my travels.
0: David, I, I'm so appreciative. I think that's the first time in about a thousand shows anybody's mentioned a French martini. And if I were you, when I go into a bar, a French restaurant, and they don't know, just say, for goodness sake, just Google the damn thing. The recipe's all over the internet, because I'm looking at it now on drinksmixer.com. French martini, one and a half ounces of vodka, quarter ounce of chambord, and that has a, a label on it, raspberry liqueur, quarter ounce fresh pineapple juice, mm, and one twist of lemon peel. Pour each of the above into a tall bar glass shake with ice pour into a cocktail or a martini glass and serve so that one doesn't have the rim with sugar but i'm sure some of the others as a matter of fact kettle one has a recipe online as well and food network has one and how to make a french here chambord channel did you know david there's a chambordchannel.com
2: how do you like that
0: how do you like that? I have a fi- they shake it vigorously until chilled. Wow, very interesting. Thank you. That's why we love our drinks. <laughs> we love to talk about our drinks here. Thank you very much. I'm definitely smiling. Calm down, Bonnie. Mike Edel and same question for you. Where are you calling from? What do you love to drink? You don't have to take the French martini challenge from David. It could be anything. Right. And tell me a little bit about what you do in your part of SAP, aerospace and defense industry. Go ahead, Dr. Uh, sure. Go ahead, sure, I'm yeah. happy
3: to. So I work for the Aerospace and Defense Industry Business Unit, and we work uh, closely with our Aerospace and Defense customers to have them help us drive requirements, what they're looking for for their you know, strategic initiatives and helping drive requirements to our development organization here at SAP. Uh, we get a lot of good interaction with our customers. We have um, industry advisory council members that um, really uh, help us drive the – uh, the, the direction of what we're doing for aerospace and defense, whether it be for uh, Industry 4.0 initiative, cybersecurity, um, a, a lot of initiatives that we, we help with uh, aerospace and defense with the group that I'm in. Uh, as far as where I'm calling from, I um, used to live in Chicago, but I recently moved back to the St. Louis area, back to the farm where I grew up, I uh, plan to move back here for about six months and have been here for six years now. So, so anyway, enjoy uh, enjoy it here. It's in the St. Louis area, metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. And as far as the drink, I was going yes. to talk this morning about um, a green tea uh, latte that I had uh, by accident on a travel. They, I usually order a um, cafe latte, and they gave me a green tea latte by mistake. And I looked at it, and it was this green color, and I thought, ooh, I don't know if I'm going to. Like this. <laughs> I didn't have time to change the order, so I drank it, and I, I really loved that. But this, this week I was on a trip. I was in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, and was introduced to a new drink there called the Texas Mule, which is essentially a Moscow mule. So it's made mm-hmm. with vodka and ginger beer, but for the Texas Mule, they muddle and, and put into it um, uh, jalapeno peppers. And it Ooh. it was so good, and it said would be such a perfect drink for a summertime barbecue. And uh, so I came back and uh, looked up some information because they serve it also in a copper cup, a copper mug. And so I looked up online to see about uh, what, how I could order some of these. And lo and behold, there's a, a health alert <laughs> that the pH <laughs> of, from the lime juice that's in that drink causes the copper to leach out of the cup. So yes. it said if you do if you do uh, those to make sure you get them that are lined with another metal, whether it be aluminum or, or nickel or, or something like that. But anyway, that, that's uh, my new um, drink of the month, I suppose.
0: That Well, we can't wait because September's almost here. We can't wait for your drink next month. You'll have to come back. Uh, by the way, I am on you. You might not believe this, Mike, but there's a website called therestlesschipotle.com. <laughs> Yes, we we do our homework here. It's sweet and spicy tequila cocktail, perfect for summer parties, a delicious twist on the classic Moscow mule. And the ingredients are two basil or mint leaves, two ounces of reposada tequila, one ounce of peach peach schnapps, an ounce of simple syrup or ginger syrup, half an ounce of lime juice, two dashes of hot sauce, and two ounces of extra ginger ginger beer and ice. And the recipe is what you say, and you garnish it. And there are pictures here, not in the copper copper vessel, but in the... In, in a glass. It's gorgeous. It looks like peach. So we have the pink French martini from David Broussel, and we have the very golden, coppery-looking Texas mule from, well, what a morning, and it's only 1025 here in New York, and already look where we've gone. I want to say that they do not allow me, David and Mike, they don't allow me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days, and today is a double header We have another live show this afternoon. So all I'm drinking, by permission, is a glass of cool, clear water and a cool, clear mug, and I've a pink straw because I'm happy it's a beautiful sunny day here in New York. So there. If you're just joining us, this is the future of manufacturing with Game Changers Radio. We're talking about Industry 4.0 synergy and the workforce. What does Industry 4.0, the fourth industrial revolution, mean to manufacturers? Well, you have to look deep and figure out what it means to your specific business and think of it end to end. Every part of your business, there will be dramatic changes and there will be challenges. I'm speaking today with David R. Brosell, who is the founder of the Manufacturing Leadership Council and Mike Edelin at SAP. I have to do a shout out to the people who are listening and wonderful tweets are happening at hashtag Raj ball is with us. SAP High Tech is with us. Channel Reach is with us. Let's see who we've got. SAP Industries, a um, couple of other people I will get to you later, but thank you so much for listening. The tweets are great, so if you want to follow along and we'd love to hear what you have to say. Dave Parrish, from SAP, of course, Parish underscore Denver is listening. Thank you very much. I think that covers everybody who's in the Twitter stream here, and we are very grateful. Oh, yes, and UTA, our Utah systems is already tweeting, and we've got a couple of others. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to try and link both parts of our episode topic together, talk about how does the workforce figure in? If your manufacturing company is embracing bits and pieces of all this new innovative technology, but you haven't figured out how to put them all together make the components work in one masterful entirety we're going to talk about how your workforce may be the key to meeting that challenge with success i'm bonnie d graham and i plan to be after the break so i don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial we will be right back 90 seconds count them with us kevin out
1: from the boardroom to you voice america business network The manufacturing world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly industry leaders address new trends, overcome new challenges, and take advantage of new technologies. The aerospace, chemicals, high-tech, and industrial sectors are at the forefront of transforming manufacturing operations to truly change the game. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how innovations are driving new challenges and trends across various manufacturing sectors. The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to the future of manufacturing with Game Changers.
0: Indeed, here we are talking about industry 4.0 synergy in the workforce, and now we have to bring into the conversation a focus on the workforce. I'm speaking today with David R. Broussel, founder of the Manufacturing Leadership Council and Mike Edelin at SAP, and we're going to deep dive into our topic in the part of the show called the Roundtable, although we actually have been going around the Roundtable. So David Broussel is going to talk to us about factories of the future. Let me introduce a little bit of his topic, and then he'll run with it. David says information driven, highly automated and flexible. That's how he describes factories of the future, but they need the right workforce with the right skills. And here, let me read a little more. Manufacturers will need digitally savvy people, many in new job functions such as digital twin architect, digital thread engineer, and data management analyst. Sounds exciting. David, please tell us more.
2: So it's no surprise, I'm sure, to many of our listeners, regardless of the uh, sector they may be in, that our businesses are getting much more connected electronically, and we're generating lots and lots of data about them. This is certainly true with manufacturing, and uh, it's producing huge volumes of data, but the data doesn't do us much good unless we can mine it and analyze it and use it effectively in our decision-making processes. So a big challenge for all manufacturing companies, is going to be how to use the data, increasing volumes of data that they're generating uh, effectively to advance their businesses. This comes uh, against a background of a workforce change that has a couple of aspects to it that are really important. Um, the the, uh, the baby boomer generation in manufacturing is 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 re- in in full swing in retirement mode um, right now, and it will continue for some time. Mm-hmm. And this means that a lot of people with tremendous experience and tribal knowledge in manufacturing will be, will or are now retiring, and the manufacturing industry needs to um, bring in n- new generation of both worker and manager, into their ranks. Not an easy task, given the image of manufacturing that still persists today, particularly in the, in the U.S. At the same time, the mix of job skills and functions that we're going to need increasingly in the digital era is changing dramatically as well. So manufacturing companies, particularly the executives who run them, have to deal with these two issues at the same time. They have to deal with the uh, baby boomer generation that is retiring and the knowledge that's walking out the door. And at the same time, they have to make their enterprises attractive enough mm-hmm. to bring in millennials, Gen Ys, Gen Zs, Gen Xs, call it whatever you want, millennials, uh, into their ranks and uh, make them believe that manufacturing can be a desirable and rewarding career because they need these people, um, particularly married to this new crop of digital skills uh, that is um, uh, now forming before our eyes and that they are going to have to be filled. Um We publish a magazine called the Manufacturing Leadership Journal six times a year. And in our April issue, we published what I thought was a very, very important article from one of our members, UI Labs in Chicago. Many of you probably know them. They're behind the Digital Manufacturing and Design Information Institute there that was set up a couple of years ago. And in this article, they identified 165 new roles and functions, uh, digital roles and functions that manufacturers are going to have to fill in the next few years. Um, this is not going to be easy for a lot of manufacturers who are still trying to understand the impact of um, industry or manufacturing 4.0 on their businesses and how their businesses have to change as a result. But this is the outline of the challenge before us when we think about future factories and future workforce requirements. We have to deal with these issues, um, and there's a lot of work being done now to help manufacturers do so. But there's still a lot of learning yet to go.
0: Thank you very much, David. Interesting. Let me ask you a quick question before I bring Mike into this conversation. Is this an exciting time for people graduating or or a couple of years out of college who realize they are sitting on a on a skill set that is so marketable, so bankable that they might want to go into the manufacturing field? Is there enough, uh, so we say, is there first the knowledge that they've got the skills, and two, is manufacturing, as you said, appealing to them? Are they going to want to take their skills there if they're that bankable? What do you think?
2: Well, that's still a difficult issue in the, in the U.S. in particular because most recent surveys, particularly um, a, a, a critical one that's done by the Manufacturing Institute in Deloitte, um, continue to show that the American public believes manufacturing to be really, really important for the economy and for, and for defense, for example. But at the same time, those same people who say that they believe it to be a a, a critical industry um, also say that they would not recommend it to their children as a career. So this industry continues to labor labor under the, the dark cloud of manufacturing being dark, dirty, and dangerous. But the the interesting thing is that manufacturing 4.0 with its internet-based technologies, with its emphasis on data analytics, with its emphasis on more collaborative um, organizational structures where millennials like to operate, uh, holds the promise of changing that perception as long as we can educate people about what it means effectively. So we have a huge opportunity in front of us to change the perception of manufacturing, get these young people into the ranks of manufacturing companies Mm -hmm. where we need them, and move ahead on this digital journey.
0: Thank you very much, David. Thank you for indulging my question. I appreciate it. Mike Edelin, we'd love to get your thoughts. We've covered a lot of territory here, the reputation in manufacturing, the people with the skills they need, the new types of jobs. uh, How do we get rid of the stigma of being in the manufacturing other than uh, we did a show, by the way, gentlemen, uh, about a year ago where somebody said it's exciting to be in manufacturing because even the people on the shop floor are working with iPads. They're walking around with all of this data literally at their fingertips less than a swipe away, uh, probably they could just talk to Alexi and Siri uh, on their on their iPad and say, hey, tell me X, Y, Z, and, and it's there for them, and that it was becoming a quote-unquote sexy place for young people to want to start a career. So, Mike, love to get your thoughts on all of this. Big topic.
3: Yeah, absolutely, Bonnie. I, you bring up a very interesting point there with the uh, user interface and the mobile devices on the shop floor because uh, a lot of times uh, millennials will come into the, the work place, and as David said, they look at it as dangerous, dark, and dirty, and uh, it just looks somewhat antiquated, and they they, they get used to what they're able to do with their computing systems at home, with Siri, with uh, their iPhones and whatnot, and then they'll go into a manufacturing facility, and maybe they're looking at green screens, maybe they're operating things on paper, and um, they just don't see the appeal to, to that career when when they walk in the door I actually uh, heard from one customer where uh, employees would come in and work there for two weeks and, and decide that that just wasn't for them so uh, just need to make it um, uh, more engaging and look like a, a good career path I know a lot of our uh, a lot of companies are are doing uh, uh, training with the local community colleges to help get People up to speed and on board, and show them that there is a promising career there in uh, in uh, manufacturing. And then, as David mentioned, there, there are new skill sets uh, skill sets that are required with um, you know science and math backgrounds. A lot of the things with uh, manufacturing, especially when we're talking about all the big data that uh, David mentioned, um, we we have to be able to make, as you mentioned, we have to make use of that data and look for insights. It's not about just being able to look at that. Um, all the big data and and process it faster, you need to look for uh, some capabilities, some hints in there about how we can increase uh, performance and increase the efficiency in in manufacturing as well and need the the data scientists to, to help pull that information to the forefront.
0: Thank you very much. David, anything you want to add to that before I look at some topics here from Mike's list? Go ahead, David.
2: Well, just to build on what Mike was saying, there you know, there, there's lots of things going on across the country at the local level, regional level, to address the issues we've been talking about. There's programs in in Minnesota. There's programs in New Hampshire that I know about to bring together industry, academia, and government, for example, to work together to get the word out about. The opportunities in manufacturing and the true state of what manufacturing really is today, you know we've been laboring under this antiquated image of manufacturing, so Mike is quite right you know um, and you are quite right that you know if 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 we can get the newer generation to actually see what's going on in manufacturing and uh, plants and factories, the perception. Can change many plants. I've gone into, for example, um, you know, they look like aircraft control rooms where Mm -hmm. technicians are sitting in uh, rooms with uh, computer screens on the walls, monitoring the uh, processes and functions of the plant in real time. So it's it's not the greasy wrench holding image that so many you know Rosie the Riveter. Um, image that so many people still have in their minds about manufacturing it really is a high tech place and it's becoming increasingly high tech the you know that one of the challenges before uh, us as an industry uh, is going to be though that um, we're we're going to be competing with other industries for some of this talent now because in these in certain roles which I call horizontal roles like data analyst like data scientist, mm-hmm. um, other industries want these too. So we have to change this image we have to pay well we have to have um, good environments for them to work in that uh, recognize millennial talent and encourage people, to participate in the in, in our in these in our companies, uh, and I think we can do that. We have a great, as I said, we have a great opportunity uh, in right in front of us now. Uh, and the more we can get the word out about you know what what manufacturing truly is today, and w- and what it could be tomorrow, um, I'm I'm continually optimistic about the future of manufacturing as a result.
0: I'm, I'm glad, David. Glad to hear that. And and I, if I might say, I'm hoping that we're doing a public service here on the show today with you and Mike Edelman in getting the word out that industry is changing. Manufacturing does not have to be. I didn't say isn't. I said does not have to be seen as dark and dirty and dangerous, the three dastardly D's D deeds of manufacturing. So let's talk a little bit yeah, about it, the strides. Agree? Let's talk about the strides that have been made. And that's why I think it's important. That's why I'm so glad glad so many people are tweeting about this show because maybe we can help to change that perception. There's the public service part. So, Mike Edelett, I'm looking at your notes here, and, and let's talk about some of the, quote-unquote, great strides that are being made. Let's bring the perception of manufacturing up into the light and up into the, the spotlight of the excitement. So let me read a little bit from one of your notes here, and let's talk about what's really happening here. You say great strides have been made with additive manufacturing technology. I want you to explain that materials and performance to such an extent that it has become a viable option for production. I know you have a lot of notes here about additive manufacturing, but also about 3D printing on aircraft carriers to print spare parts. Tell me some of the sexy new stuff that's coming and that's already here for manufacturing. Mike?
3: Sure. So, and this builds on, on what David was saying about um, manufacturing becoming state-of-the-art now. Um the, the, the comment about the aircraft carrier. So, I was at an Aviation Week conference. This is a good five years ago, and we were having lunch with uh, some uh, some members from the Department of Defense, uh, Naval, um, from the Navy, and they were talking about uh, they were looking at additive manufacturing all the way back then because what they would like to do at some point in the future is be able to sp- uh, print spare parts uh, for aircraft on the carrier or, or other components on of the aircraft carrier. So they were looking at that uh, as as long as five years ago. But um, what, what I think is amazing about the, the 3D printing or the additive manufacturing is how much it has progressed uh, in just the, the past five years, ten years or so. Um, it, it's the ability to take the engineering design and, and be able to print parts that uh, maybe you couldn't... Uh, Manufacture a particular design in any other way, and you're able to to print that out now. It saves uh, time to market. It saves weight, and and I think what's amazing about it is the fact that um, you know five ten years ago they're using uh, 3D printing to print prototype parts. Essentially, when I worked at McDonald Douglas, we were doing some 3D printing all the way back then. But again, it was just for prototyping. I read an article uh, Pratt and Whitney. They had over the last 25 years had 3D printed over a hundred thousand prototype parts, but as recent as um, mm. 2015, now they're, they're able to start printing parts to actually go into into service for aircraft engines. Likewise, Airbus is now uh, one of their more more recent aircraft has a hundred. Uh, I'm sorry, a thousand uh, flying 3D printed parts on the aircraft, and so it's starting to advance to the the point now where. Uh, manufacturers can start using that for production operations as opposed to just uh, prototyping. And, and I think it gets back to uh, what David was saying. I think one of the benefits of at least the the, the position and, and job that I have is I do get to go and visit uh, manufacturing facilities and talk to customers. And uh, recently I was at an event at the manufacturing uh, council that uh, David is, is hosting. We went through a plant tour for for. For one of their um, uh, associates, and I think it would be just wonderful if uh, millennials, young people, maybe high school tours or something, could go and see some of these manufacturing facilities because it is becoming state of the art. Uh, you'll go into a manufacturing facility and it is just spotlessly clean. It's quiet. Like David said, it's not the the dirty uh, and and the loud noises of. of uh, Rosie the Riveter days of, of manufacturing. So, yeah, there's just so much innovation. Not only with the 3D printing added manufacturing, but uh, robots. We're, we're coming out with uh, collaborative robots now, where the um, it can assist a person in their job function. Um, so, all kinds of innovations coming to manufacturing.
0: I, I uh, thank you very much. I have to come to the defense of Rosie the Riveter. I don't know if she's been maligned a little bit here on the, in the conversation, but Rosie the Riveter, for our very young listeners around the world, um, she was a symbol of women in the workforce during World War II, honoring working women. She had a red, uh, looks like a bandana around her hair. She was very serious. She had a very direct gaze, and she was raising her right arm in a muscle. She she was showing you that bicep and she had a blue workforce type of a shirt on and she was ready to go. This was not a smiling cutesy <laughs> Cheesecake pose. This was a serious woman and if you want to know more about her you could look up history.com Rosie R O S I E the Riveter R I V E T E R. So yeah, so very interesting background. So uh, times have changed. yes, yeah, she did represent manufacturing at its it's dirtiest, dark in the in the wartime. However, she did Definitely rep- – oh, look her up on Wikipedia. Um, she, women who worked in factories and shipyards during World War II. Let me just read a second here. Uh, Rosie the Riveter, cultural icon of World War II, representing women who worked in factories and shipyards during World War II, many of whom produced munitions and war supplies. They took entirely new jobs, sometimes replacing the male workers who went to serve in the military. Rosie the Riveter is a symbol of feminism and women's economic power. I'll leave it there. No, we're not doing a a rah-rah Rosie here, but I just thought I would give a little background, uh, David and Mike, if you don't mind. So, David Brosell, I'd love to get your thoughts on some of the exciting technology Mike is just mentioning. The idea of 3D printing on-site parts, wouldn't that excite a millennial to want to be part of that, David?
2: It certainly should. Let me put a fine point on something Mike said, and and it may drive it home. Um, in, in real concrete terms. So, here at the Council, we, we have an annual awards program called the Manufacturing Leadership Awards. And one of the companies that won an award this year was Airbus. Hmm. And they won the award for uh, a 3D printed uh, partition that is used in their aircraft, uh, you know, a partition between where the seats are in the aircraft and, and the galley where the, the flight attendants um, prepare the food and drinks for, for, for passengers. And this partition weighed 45% less than the current partitions they were, they were using. And they estimated that installing these 3D-printed partitions in their A-class aircraft would save or cut 465,000 metric tons of CO2 emissions per year.
0: That's All I can progress. say is, wow, progress. That's excitement. That's, what did you say? It's not a step change. It's a dramatic change. David, how well publicized was this?
2: Well, we, um, we certainly publicized it, and, and um, they, Airbus came to our um, conference that was held in June and accepted their award. Uh, um, so it's all over our website um, and in our magazine. So we have publicized it, and I'm I'm sure they have too. But it's always good to inform more people about it because it's a concrete example of what can be accomplished with some of these new technologies, particularly 3D.
0: Very, very exciting. So let me look at the clock here. We're just about ready for our crystal ball predictions round. So let me, before I ask David to start that lightning round, if you will, and I think we can give each of you 90 seconds. We certainly have been talking about the link between the past of manufacturing, the current perception, which it sounds to me is teetering on the edge of something really good and really exciting to attract the new digitally savvy, sa- digitally savvy. I like that term, the people they want, they're competing with other industries for the millennials and the general Yers. Uh, I, I wish we could also say that boomers can be retrained. I'd like to think some of us can to do those jobs. Uh, Mike, any, anything you want to add to the conversation from your talking points here? Quickly, I can give you 60 seconds before I start with David on the prediction. Go ahead, Mike.
3: Oh, sure. So one of the talking points I had was about the offset strategy. And without getting into all the details about what offset strategy is, what it boils down to is that manufacturing has to uh, compete more on the cost of innovation. It's not just the cost of their final product that they're delivering, but need to be able to reduce the cost of innovation. Because in order to keep, compete, they need to to bring down the cost, but also have a shorter cycle from uh, you know design or from you know design to value for the the end customers. And, and where manufacturing can compete uh, now is the having that. Uh, lowering the cost of innovation so they can be more agile and and uh, respond to changes in in the marketplace and then um Something that David uh, mentioned with his opening remarks with, when he's talking about his quote and about how you know half the companies are looking at this as a game changer, a, transformation, a transformational opportunity, I think it's important that manufacturers look at this, uh, these new capabilities not just as a, a technical upgrade uh, to some process that they have, but that they look at this as an opportunity for a business transformation, a different way of looking at how they, they do business.
0: Thank you very much. Okay, David, you're up. I can give you 90 seconds. Use them well. We'd love for you to look forward, look into the crystal ball at the Manufacturing Leadership Council. What do you see coming down the pike? I'm kind of focusing on 2020, but you don't have to. What will change dramatically if we met again? And I certainly hope we will to have part two of this discussion. David Brosell.
2: Yeah, I mean, the um, you know, the comp- the composition of the industry and the competitive nature of the industry could change very dramatically um, in the years ahead. And this kind of goes to the root of, you know, it, are we looking at a transformational um, event here with manufacturing 4.0, or is it just a evolutionary change? You, you know where I stand on that. I think it's a dramatic change ahead. And you can think about this uh, in terms of maybe thinking about it as the Uber effect, that Mm -hmm. companies armed with 3D printing technology, with uh, advanced data analytics, with... uh, younger people who can think differently about business problems and come up with new business models will create new manufacturing companies uh products and services that could very well disrupt many of the the old line um companies so the 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 comp- it called the Kodak effect you know mm-hmm. they didn't see it coming or or they, they didn't anticipate well enough uh, as to the changes coming, and it this could dramatically change the the kind of the composition and complexion of the manufacturing industry, and that may be a good thing you know we may be looking at when we get to twenty twenty thirty uh, at a, uh, a, a a changed industry but a much more efficient Uh, Industry, much more highly automated industry that can produce products that can satisfy individuals because we're all Mm -hmm. heading, I mean, the, the major trend here is we're all heading toward this mass customization idea where you can satisfy the demands of a single customer whether you're a medical uh, device uh, or, or pharmaceutical manufacturer or car manufacturer a uh, in, in chemicals whatever it might be that you could satisfy you could produce profitably um, lots of one and mm-hmm. do it and do it very efficiently and, and with great margins uh, and if we can reach that state um, we're going to uh, be able to help a lot of people in the future. Um, Thank you, David. Much more you than know we what? Are now.
0: Thank you. Yeah. I have to cut you off because I have about ninety seconds left till the end, and I want to give Mike a chance for his prediction. Thank you. That was eloquent and very, very spot on. Thank you, David. Mike, Edlin I've got sixty seconds for you. Please give us your prediction. Sure. I think
3: that um, that. Companies will will adopt Industry 4.0. I think they will also focus a lot more on the collaboration nature across the supply chain, where they have better visibility into the extended uh, value that is coming across the supply chain. Uh, hopefully, companies. Uh, hopefully, regulations will be uh, such that companies can leverage the cloud and make better use of of that. There's a, there's especially some uh, uh, Complications to that with the ICE TAR restrictions and, and things in our particular industry, but I think cybersecurity will improve. I think there will be better collaboration across the extended supply chain, and I think that will help, um, help companies um, move forward with, with their initiatives.
0: Thank you very much. David Brosell, Mike Edlin, such a pleasure speaking with you. We covered so many interesting points. I, I'm going to predict I see a part two in our future somewhere along the line. Look for an email from me. And I have to predict quickly for our audience. I'll be back at 2 p.m. Eastern here. It's Thursday. Of course, we have two shows, just like we do on Tuesday. The topic will be, see, the topic will be new technology in the future of the future utility. The question is in-memory computing, artificial intelligence, machine learning, distributed Energy, oh my, utilities may be starting to embrace new technology to stay alive, but will we even need them? That's the question. My guests will be Robert Tila at Open Text, Mark Rosson at Snohomish County, PUD Number 1, and James McClelland, of course, at SAP, back at 2 p.m. So let me do a quick close here. Thank you to my two very special and articulate and forward-looking guests, David R. Brosell and Mike Edelin. And thank you to David Parrish, Stefan Gertzkin, and Thomas Poll at SAP for sponsoring the series. And a big shout-out to everybody who tweeted for us. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a Game changer today, just like David R. Broussel, and just like Mike Edlin, Bonnie DeGram signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again
1: for tuning in to the Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.